Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. What a fabulous morning. It is outside and inside. What a great time of worship we had. It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I hope that you are uh, getting inspired by some of the things happening in and around Bethesda, especially our friends Lester and Holly coming. It's amazing to me that's a complete a cappella group. There's not one instrument. When Brother Barry was talking about listening to them, yeah, I was listening to them amazed. I, I'm looking for the instruments but not a single one. They are talented. So we're looking forward to that next week. It's going to be great. Uh, I don't know if you were here with us on the Wednesday nights in September, but on one particular night in September, we had a visitor, Bob Reed, from Basket of Hope, one of the missions that we support, and he was telling us uh, a little bit about what Sharon and Howard Hester were doing over in Kenya, Africa, and that some things had happened, and they were going to extend their stay over there in Kenya They had a class that they wanted to see through, and uh, they did that. And Howard and Sharon have made it back from Kenya, so they're here this morning, and I wanted to say, hey, uh, hello, Howard and Sharon. Uh, You're here somewhere. I know you're here. There you are. There you are. Great to have you back from Africa. We're so happy you're here. And uh, that's a reminder to us, too, that if you haven't filled out your missions pledge. It would really be fantastic if you could get that into us uh, by next week. A great deal of you have already turned those in, and I say thank you. Your support for our missions, uh, our missions department has been really excellent, and uh, we are almost to the point where we can say we were matching last year, and I know if you're still thinking about it, praying about it, if you would, uh, get those in, and I think we could do better than we did last year, and I'll look forward to that. And again, just thank you so much for supporting all these missions that we are behind, both locally and internationally. It's November, and although it's not too, too cold out here in Michigan. I'm kind of enjoying it. 50 degrees, I'll take all day long in November. But Christmas is coming. And I don't know if you noticed when you came in the, the door this morning and you looked in our foyer or any of our hallways or areas that our Christmas decorations are, are up and we're anticipating a great season. I love Christmas and I just want to say thanks to Ellen Gingrich and Karen Foster and Sylvia Myers and uh, Sandy Carey. They decorated our church beautifully. And I just want to say thank you, ladies. You did an, a wonderful job. The place is looking beautiful. They've taken a real ownership of their church, and I just love it. I love it. This morning, as you heard with uh, Reverend Allen, we're talking about seeking and we've been for the past number of weeks. I want to touch a subject uh, this morning about balance. In every aspect of our life, we need balance, typically. It's usually a positive thing. If we do too much of one particular thing, sometimes it can be a problem. It can lead us to issues. We need to strike a balance. And I want to uh, address this topic this morning from a passage 
in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to use Luke chapter 10, and it might be a familiar scripture or familiar passage for some of you. Luke 10, I'm going to go with verses 38 to 42. It's about two ladies that are friends of Jesus, and he is coming to their home. So Luke 10, 38 to 42, it reads, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is a very interesting little passage recorded in the Gospel of Luke. What do we know about these two ladies? What do we know about these sisters, Martha and Mary? I think it's reasonable that we conclude these are the sisters of the man named Lazarus that we read about in John's Gospel. There's two more accounts in John's Gospel about Martha and Mary who lived with their brother Lazarus in this village called Bethany. It was just outside of Jerusalem, just a couple of miles to the east of Jerusalem. And I just want to brief you a little bit on the accounts in John's gospel, help us get to know these ladies a little better. In the first account we read in John's gospel, their brother Lazarus has died. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they called out to Jesus. Jesus eventually uh, came to their home and they witnessed a great miracle. They witnessed Jesus calling to the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of that tomb alive. So these women, Martha and Mary, they witnessed that. And the second account that we have in John's gospel was on the day before Jesus was to enter Jerusalem triumphantly with people singing hosannas and laying their cloaks on the, or on the ground so that he could uh, ride in on his donkey he had stopped in Bethany the day before that, and he was the guest of honor in the home of Martha, and they had a great meal for him. So from these two accounts, plus the one we just read, we get a little insight into these two ladies. Martha is probably the older one. Luke refers to the house as Martha's house. We don't read of a husband. Perhaps she was widowed. She had a home. She had her younger sister Mary living with her, her younger brother Lazarus. Of the two women, it's Martha that seems to be the one that's getting things done. She's the one that's seemingly a little more responsible, taking care of business. She interacts with Jesus. When you read these three accounts, there's really only one a sentence of conversation or narration that's given to Mary Martha's the one that's typically doing the talking. It's Mary that uh, is portrayed a little bit more sensitive. Where Martha is direct, Mary's a little bit 
more free-spirited, a heart that has some uh, sensitivity to it. And in all three accounts, all three accounts in the Gospels, when we read about Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. In the Luke account, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. In John's first account, she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. And in John's second account, Mary is anointing Jesus' feet. So we've got these, uh, these two women. Picture them in your mind. One that's motherly. She's a little more responsible. She's taking care of the house. She's in charge. She's directing. The other one, a little lighter, a little more impulsive, a little more free-spirited. Now, imagine, imagine in your mind's eye, <clears throat> Jesus is approaching the house. His disciples are with him, and they come walking up to the house. Imagine inside the house, there's Martha. She hears the voices outside. She hears a little commotion. Who is it? Who is it? She wonders. She peers out the window. It's Jesus. Mary, Mary, how do I look? It's Jesus. He didn't call before he came. I wish he would call before he would come. Mary, pick up those magazines, will you? Come on, straighten up the sofa. The breakfast dishes, Mary, the breakfast dishes are still in the sink. Cover them with a towel, will you? This can't be happening. Look at my hair. Oh my gosh, Mary, what am I wearing? Oh, I have to take care of this. I have to take care of this. Can you see her? Can you picture her? She turns away. She runs into the back room. She's got to freshen up. She's got to take care of herself. Now, Mary, on the other hand, what's she doing? She's not going to hide the dishes. She's not picking up the house. She's not concerned with the way the house is set. She doesn't care how she looks. She ignores her sister. And before Jesus can make it to the door to even knock, Mary's opening the door. Jesus, come on in. What a great surprise. We didn't know you were coming, but we're so glad to have you. Can you picture it? Can you picture these opposites, these two polar opposite people and personalities, the responsible one, the impulsive one? Jesus is now in the middle. He put himself in the middle of these two. Martha now. Martha, what does she do? She gets to work. We read in Luke's account here, she's dealing with all the preparations that had to be made. She's sweeping the floor. She's getting out the dishes. Uh, she's wiping out the glasses. Oh, there's a water spot there. Got to take care of it. She's heating up the water on the stove. She's setting the table. She's preparing the food, chopping things. Meanwhile, Mary, what do we read about Mary? She's, she's relaxed. She's sitting down. She's at the Lord's feet. She's listening to what Jesus is saying. And Martha didn't like it. It starts to bother her. It's getting under her skin. I can almost hear Martha mumbling to herself, I'm doing all the work. Look at her. Look at her over there. She's just sitting there. She won't lift a finger. I got to deal with all of this. I'm sweating. Oh, I can't believe it. And then it gets to her, doesn't it? 
And Martha just lets it out. She just lets it out. She comes in and she confronts Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So Martha, she expresses all this pent-up frustration. And Jesus, he goes to bat for her, doesn't he? No, not really. No. No, Jesus, he responded kindly. He responded nicely. Martha, it's not as if she'd committed some great and terrible sin. After all, she was really trying to, uh, really trying to be hospitable for Jesus. But Jesus, he's not giving her any satisfaction. He was nice about it, but he said, Martha, you're worried. You're upset about so many things, but you only need one. Mary made a choice. Mary has chosen the better one. It's not going to be taken away from her. It's probably not what Martha wanted to hear. And again, it's not as if she was in the wrong. She was doing her best, but she missed something. She was a little out of balance. She was a little out of kilter. She was focused on one thing, but she was missing a greater thing. The Lord, Jesus, had come and paid a visit. Mary was taking advantage of this visitation that Jesus had made, but Martha was missing out on it. And we don't want to miss a visitation from Jesus. And if we're out of balance, if we're too focused on one thing or or another, we might miss a visit from Jesus. And I see in this passage that we we can point to a few things that are symptoms of being out of balance. The first is distraction. Martha was distracted. She was distracted with all her work. She was taken with all of her preparation. It was all good things. All this that she was doing that was distracting her from the Lord. But she was missing out. She was missing something. Mary, on the other hand, had been sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he was saying, taking it in, and evidently, it was more than just a casual conversation. It's not that they were just talking about the weather. Jesus said Mary had chosen to do what was better. He must have been expounding on something of, of import, something that was uh, worthwhile to hear and to get in to, to Mary. And Martha was missing it because she was distracted with all that she wanted to do, as well-intentioned as it may have been. And we can get distracted in good works. We can get distracted in all the good things that we like to do. When I was a young man, a rebellious young man, I will say, I purposely found good works to do. And I purposely found some good works to do with one intention in mind. And that was so I could get out of church. Best way I found, the best way I found was when I joined uh, the Sunday parking lot patrol. See, I volunteered 
to be on the parking lot patrol. And then I volunteered to be a fill-in, a substitute. I, I was trying to get on that every Sunday because if I were on every week and they would let me, but they, they wouldn't let me every week. But if I could, it meant, it meant another week I didn't have to sit in church and listen to all that was going on. And you know what the trouble is? I think I missed a lot. I think my intention wasn't really good, although in front of everybody it seemed good. It really wasn't. The root of it was I was a dumb kid and I just didn't want to go to church. (laughs) And I missed a lot. I missed out on things. And you know, regrettably, I don't even know what I missed because I outright missed it. And you know, we all can be doers. We all can be doers of good things. We can all get involved. But sometimes we can get over-involved and we can neglect being learners. We can neglect being listeners and students. We have to strike this balance. The, the, first, jep, uh, the first chapter of the letter that James wrote uh, tells us that we need to be hearers of the word, but we also need to be doers of the word. We can't just be doers all the time because we never hear. We can't be hearers all the time because we never do. There is this uh, middle ground. It's not one or the other. It's both. And I doubt, I doubt that Mary was some kind of sloth who just sat around the house all the time and never picked up after herself and never lifted a finger and never helped out. But it was just that on this occasion... She decided to take advantage of this visit from Jesus and listen to what he had to say while Martha was doing as she always did. Martha was in charge, directing. She was uh, preparing. And many things, many things like that can distract us. They can pull us away. And in our culture, we, we have so much of it. We, we have money and media and work and a- entertainment, technology, hobbies. We have responsibilities of life and family and children. And some, some of these things can definitely be characterized as good things. I'm not trying to take away from the fact that when we do some of these things, they are good things. Time with family and children and friends, even good works for other people. But when it's out of kilter, when it leans way too far one way, if it keeps us from being with the master, if it keeps us from learning at the feet of Jesus Christ, if it keeps us from hearing his word, perhaps it's time that we just take a look and we reprioritize. Symptom two. Symptom two, we had first distractions. Number two is worry. Jesus said to Martha, you're worried. You're worried about many things. And you know, worry can knock us way out of balance. Worry is really uh, something that can deprive us of hearing Jesus. It was Jesus who said this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. The words of Jesus. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is... Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour 
to your life. Worry, worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, where we're going to hang our hat, all of that. Does it help? Does that worry help? No. Worry can't change your stature. It can't change your place. It's not going to add one single minute to your life. And then Jesus gives a great example. He says, look at the birds. Look at them. What are they worried about? They don't worry about anything, do they? God feeds them. God houses them. And you know, you are so much more valuable, so much more valuable than the birds. So what's Jesus saying? The Lord will take care of us. Don't worry. And yet we do. Yet we worry. We worry about ourselves. We worry about our children. We worry about the things going on in the world. And we worry about the things in the culture. How many people were in abject fear last Wednesday and it's still going on? They are frightened. They are worried. There's, there's riots in the street. What is this going to accomplish? It's really going to accomplish nothing. You know, it's all based on this fear and worry, and it takes us out of balance. And when worry peels us away from where we should be, when we're, where we should be with Jesus, we're so worried we're not even listening, then there's an issue. Now, Jesus said at the close of Matthew 6, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness instead of this worry. And that's what Martha was missing in her worry. She was missing out on seeking Jesus and his kingdom. But Mary had discovered, Mary had discovered all of this in her attentiveness to the Lord. Mary was seeking more of his kingdom. Martha was worried. So distractions, worry, a third symptom discontentment, discontentment. Jesus said, Martha, you're upset about many things. Martha was upset, or in other words, I say she was discontent. She was discontented. She was discontent with her situation. And discontent, it's an unnecessary hardship that really we put on ourselves. It torments us. It torments our heart. It, it's brought on often by little things. I mean, we can get discontented about minor annoyances that build up, and, and eventually they, they give birth to upset. And so often it seems it's not the issue, it's not the situation that brings the misery, but it's this discontentment inside. It's this feeling that overwhelms us, and it can fester, and it can lead to bitterness, and frustration. And that's where it seems Martha was. She was upset. She was frustrated. She wasn't content to stop and sit and, and look at, okay, maybe the house wasn't as kept as it should be. Maybe she didn't have time to sweep the floor before Jesus arrived. But boy, it was bothering her. And she couldn't sit contented to hear him she was upset about 
all the things going on that she had to attend to. So she's grumbling. She's grumbling. She's grumbling as she works, watching her sister Mary just take it all in. Mary was content, and to, to be content, it goes such a long way to bringing us back into balance. Contentment is opposed to dissatisfaction. It's opposed to murmuring. It's opposed to complaining. Contentment is a submissive, uh, yielding spirit. And it, it yields to the necessities of life. And it yields even to the hardships of life. It was Paul the Apostle who wrote the great words, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He wasn't discontent, and neither was he complacent. Paul was content to work. He was content to plan. He was content uh, to travel And he went from city to city. He went from continent to continent. It might have bothered some people. They might have grumbled about all the traveling they had to do. Paul was content in it all. He was content when he was free. He was content when he was in chains and he was in bondage and he was in prison. He was content when his ship was sailing on the open seas. He was content when his ship was sinking in a storm. He was content in all he did because he had learned a secret. He had learned a secret that Mary knew And Martha needed to work on. And Paul shared that secret with us. And I remember one time I was able to share this secret that Paul learned. I have a a friend uh, that I met years ago where I worked, and I've stayed in contact with him. And from time to time, he would invite us over to his house. Really uh, interesting fellow, uh, a bit eclectic, And when he would have a dinner party, he would always invite a variety of people and purposely to get, let's just say, interesting discussions going across the table. Oh, you're the Christians, you're the Jews, you are uh, the Native American, uh, you are the Republicans, you're the Democrats. And then he would just... He would instigate a little bit. Hey, what do you think about, uh, you know, the topic of abortion? You know, just get some light dinner conversation going. That kind of thing, right? And it would, it would always uh, turn into a very, very interesting evening. Well, I remember one time we were invited to his house, and uh, there was a gentleman I met for the first time. He had been a physicist in his uh, career for a good number of years, and then he became... A psychoanalyst. And so his business, his business now was analyzing people, trying to help them. And we got into a discussion and it seemed we had some common ground. He says, oh, so you help people too in the church and uh, I help people too in what I do. And we discussed different methods and it always seemed he, he was trying to carry himself just a little bit higher than me. And I, I didn't mind that. It didn't bother me. He, uh, he mentioned, well, you know, there's one difference between us. You do all your, you do all your counseling for free. I get $150 an hour, uh, that kind of thing. And as we talked, I said something along the lines of, you know, people are chasing after happiness, but they're chasing the wrong thing. I said, they need to be content. They're missing something. They're missing contentment. And it was so 
interesting to me. This doctor who was a, a, a very well-credentialed individual and very smart, his face turned white. And he looked at me and he said, how did you know that? He said, that, when I, when I go through a series with people and they come in for sessions over months and maybe even a year, he said, my last session is contentment. I tell them just what you said. How did you know that? And I said, well, St. Paul told me. <laughs> I said, he told me. It's in the letter to the Philippians. It's in chapter 4. And he said it's a secret, but he revealed the secret. So I was able to share it with this man, Philippians 4, 12 and 13. And this is what it said. I know what, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I was able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was able to share a little bit with that man who thought he had figured something out through all his education and all the things that he did and his studies, and he had struck on this great thing. And he realized, you know, the Lord told us that a long time ago. Mary seemed to have grasped this concept of contentment. Martha was in need of learning it. Distractions, worry, discontent. These are the symptoms that she had that showed she was out of balance, out of balance with her relationship with Jesus. And those can be the same symptoms we have that put us out of balance in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Martha showed us a way that we can self-evaluate. Martha, she actually, in all that she did, she presented to us something that we can use to look internally to consider for ourselves if these things in our life are a little bit out, out of kilter. And this is what I see in terms of a self-evaluation, looking at what Martha did. It's considering how we are approaching the Lord. Do we come to the Lord demanding? Lord, you must care. Do we come demanding that the Lord care for us? Do we come telling Jesus what to do? Is that our approach? That was Martha's approach. Martha's approach as a distracted, worried, and upset person, her annoyances and her aggravation built up such that she came to Jesus frustrated. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? My sister is just sitting there, and I do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Have you ever come to the Lord that way? I have. I've been frustrated. I think if we all look a little inside, maybe we've come to the Lord this way. Lord, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? I've got a problem. Don't you see it? Where's your care? So many say it. 
And with all the pain and all the trouble, all the trial, the tribulation, people actually use it against us. Where is your Lord? Where is your God? Doesn't he care? Well, last week marked the, the 41st anniversary of the sinking of that uh, great ship, the Edmund Fitzgerald, November 10th, 1975. That, that ship sunk. I remember delivering the papers that day, seeing that on the front page. Uh, 29 crew died in Lake Superior. And the, the Gordon Lightfoot song, it immortalized the tragedy. And there's a line that says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? God, don't you care? Don't you see it? This is the same God who let Job suffer. This is the God who let Elijah run and cower in the cave. This is, this is the God that let Jeremiah shed so many tears. This is the God that allowed his son to be nailed to a cross and crucified. Lord, don't you care? Martha was asking, and then she was demanding. She wasn't just asking for the Lord to help. She said, Lord, do this. Tell my sister, this is what, and, and again, I think sometimes we come to the Lord that way. We already come with what we, we're going to tell him what to do. All right, Lord, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Take care of it. It's, that approach ought to be telling us something. And are we frustrated? Are we worried? Are we upset? Are we discontent? what are we doing coming to the Lord like this? Martha needed to learn what Mary had already figured out, what Paul later wrote about. You know, come to the Lord humbly. Come to the Lord humbly, contented. Come to the Lord, be at his feet. This is, this is Mary's approach. Paul, Paul healed the sick. He raised the dead. He was miracular, miraculously freed from prison. You know, but he was also beaten. He was also persecuted. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. In all of it, he was content because he said, I can do all of this through Christ. It's Christ that gives me the strength. You know, Paul found, found strength in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we sung that this morning. Let us become more aware of your presence and this is where Paul found his strength. It wasn't as if Jesus was walking with him physically like he had showed up at Martha and Mary's house. No, Paul's relying on the presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to strengthen him. And he knew God's care did not always come in an instantaneous, miraculous uh, deliverance by the way that we direct it, by the way that we tell Jesus what to do. No, he knew that the Holy Spirit of Jesus was with him. He knew that Jesus understood his pain and his fears and his suffering, and he knew that Jesus was standing with him in his trials, and Jesus carried him through those trials, and he was teaching Paul things as he went along. Paul wasn't... Uh, you know, you know, in some state of rejection and self-pity and discontent. No, he was being empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to do all things by the strength of Jesus. And, and Martha's trivial little problem of not being able to, to, to sit down with the guests, 
because she was working. Jesus kindly taught her. Jesus kindly taught her a very valuable lesson. And she could apply that lesson in many other more serious times of life. And we can too. We can learn from this. We don't come and stand over Jesus and accuse him of not caring for us and then make demands on him. No, let's come, let's come humbly to the Lord. Let's submit to him and sit at his feet. Let's think about what we're going through and say, Lord, I got to be content with it because I know you care. I know you care. He does. He does. This is his, his marvelous and mysterious way of dealing with us and teaching us and bringing us to this place where ultimately we're going to be with him in his kingdom eternally. We need to listen to attentively to what he would want, not demand of him. And then we can cast all our cares on him, sit at his feet, cast, his care, cast our cares and our anxiety on him because he cares for us. And that's also scripture. 